children we are back don't ask me why i'm doing this weird accent i have to come up with something stupid every day i've been watching too much olympic weightlifting so <laughs> cameron's about to pass that on the couch she's like i'm trying to lift it for them we'll stop doing that before you hurt yourself but anyway that has nothing to do with what we're here to talk about um i'm here lou's here hi there we kicked cameron to the curb we couldn't take it anymore <laughs> oh my too much estrogen something like that yeah well either way we're here to tell you that how you worship actually matters. This is going to be fun. Fun, fun, fun. One of my favorite Down in our passages. hearts, down in our hearts, something like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me cough into the microphone a few more dozen times. That'll be helpful and useful, won't it? <clears throat> there we go. All right. Turn in your Bibles, because I know you're all lovely, wonderful children, and you pay attention and follow along at home. Ha, ha, ha. Ho, ho, ho. He, he, he. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus. Dun, dun. Done. Great book. Now, as the great Dr. Salhammer once said, what do you get out of Leviticus? You get out of it as fast as you can. <laughs> Some people's kids, I tell you. Hey, that was a professor of Old Testament and Hebrew. Yeah, and he has spent some time in them books. Yeah, and he was like, just leave Leviticus alone. It's not worth it. <laughs> we appreciated the honesty, if nothing else. You know, nobody enjoys Leviticus, but we today, children, are going to enjoy Leviticus whether you like it or not. We prefer that you do, but if you don't, you know, we're, we're going to be okay with that. Chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire in them, because that's what you do with a fire pan, placed incense on it and offered strange fire. Ooh, oh. Don't ask me what I'm doing. <laughs> they <laughs> they offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Okay. Questions, because we have them, right? Of course. What's a Nadab and what's an Abihu? Exodus 24. He said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. These are the first of the priests. Aaron is, Aaron is the first chief priest. Nadab and Abihu as his, we'll use the southern terminology, as his youngins. Got to have more youngins running around. As his chitlins, they are priests there to offer sacrifice on behalf of the people. All right. Why, pray tell, do they have a fire pan? Is it good to give children fire? <laughs> Definitely not in my house, but... Yeah. Fire! Fire! <laughs> <laughs> Pyromaniacs. Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. You caught that, right? Mm -hmm. He shall take a fire pan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony. Otherwise, he will die. See, you have a fire pan because part of the offering of the priest, there's not just, you know, the lamb and the bull and the blood and the fat and all that good stuff. There are incense offerings. There are herb offerings. They mm -hmm. are burned. Children, would you like to carry the coals into the holy place by hand? 
Oh, definitely not. <laughs> that might end badly for you. But you did say something that was interesting. Uh, and you noti- of course I did. You noticed that they, it, the, the scripture repeated itself about the offerings for <coughs> their sin offerings. Yes. So twice that was mentioned. Yes, because... In what you read. And so that's an important aspect, and I think we're getting ready to touch on that. Because the priest has to... In order to sanctify you, the priest must first sanctify himself. Right. If you like your New Testament equivalent, you're going to love this. Okay. It just went... The verse went, wee! It was there, and I had it, and I looked at it, and then it went, wee! Because I I like making (laughs) that I think I saw it. (laughs) It's flying around here. It might come back through. Um, Hebrews. We're going to go with Hebrews. Read the book of Hebrews. It will do you good. Nice. But talking about Christ as the Son, learning obedience by the things that he suffered. See, Christ was not in need of sanctification, and yet he was sanctified. Why? Because he is the faithful high priest. And just as the high priest must offer atonement for himself, so for, a, for his justification and for his sanctification, the, high, the faithful and true high priest, who is Jesus did the same, not because he required it, but because he obediently and faithfully followed the pattern laid down by God. He is, and always as we are, tempted and yet is without sin. Right, he's faithful. So he learns his obedience, not because Jesus was disobedient, but by demonstrating his obedience. You with me so far? Well, and and his demonstration of obedience is our example. Ding, 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 ding. So whereas these priests, let's, let's, uh, let's not bury the lead here, whereas these priests are going to fail, and as Hebrews points out, they have to exist in great number because they're going to die. They're all going to die. These priests exist in great number because they're all going to die, and once they die, you know what they can't do? Offer up offerings. They can't offer sacrifice for you anymore. They can't offer up for atonement. They can't teach you about sanctification. They can't do any of that because they are dead. dead. Right. They, what is it, the blue, what was that parrot thing in Monty Python? He is deceased. He is no more. This bird is dead. Stone dead. <laughs> Was it the Norwegian blue? I'd like to return this Norwegian blue. Is there something wrong with it? Yes, he's dead. No, he's not. He's sleeping. No, he's dead. And he bangs it on the counter. Surely you have to watch that again. Oh. I've seen, I know I've seen it's it. It's John yeah. Cleese and Eric. I think John Cleese is returning the bird and Eric Idle is the shop owner. Yeah. Why do I know these things? And why do you remember them so well? I, I mean, I know you, I've seen it, but I don't remember the whole skit. My brain is a font of useless information. information. Just yeah. useless. And it's all running around. Now, ask me the Bible reference out of Hebrews. I got nothing. But I can recite to you the entire dialogue between John Cleese and Eric Idle. I can recite the entirety of Robin Hood Men in Tights, which is a great Mel Brooks film, by the way. But Bible verses, what are they? Where are they? I have no idea. They're in there somewhere. This is how my brain operates. Again, you wonder why I am the way that I am. These are your reasons. I'm I'm beginning to learn. We've all got our little funny little... So where were we? Ah, yes. The failure of humanity, whereas the eternal success of Christ. So sinless before the foundation of the earth sinless after the foundations are shaken, sinless after the kingdom is established. He is the eternal, faithful high priest. Therefore, his sacrifice is an eternal, faithful, and good sacrifice. He doesn't have to exist in great number like the earthly priest because he lives forever. Right. Make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. Now, what had they been commanded to burn? Go to Exodus 30, and you'll find the answer. You shall not offer any strange incense on this altar or burnt offering or meal offering, and you shall not pour out a drink offering upon it. Fast forward to the end. The Lord said to Moses, take for yourself spices, stakti and anika. 
There's a good one. Galbanum spices with pure frankincense. There shall be an equal part of each. With it you shall make incense, a perfume, the work of a perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. You shall beat some of it very fine and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you, and it shall be most holy to you. The incense which you shall make, you shall not make in the same proportion for yourselves. It shall be holy to you for the Lord. Whoever shall make any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. Dun, dun, dun. Why do you think there's such a specificity? Because God commands worship. Right. This worship is and not about ordered. them. It's ordered and it's about God. There it is, right and, there. And That's yeah. the point. Worship, you ready? Here you go, Christian. This is the most important thing I'm going to say. Lou can, Lou can vouch for this. I am, I am carefully and reverentially holding the microphone because I'm pleading with you. This looks pathetic, doesn't it? Yes. I have my pathetic face going. Pathetic. Your worship, regardless of whether it is offered at home, at work, at church, your worship is not about you. Hmm. It is about God. It is about Yahweh Sabaoth, mm-hmm. he who is on most high. Now I'm going to let go of the microphone because this is getting creepy. <laughs> We're right. making and Lou the, uncomfortable. And, and the reason I, I bring that up is sometimes we look at the rituals that we find in Scripture, whether they be Old or New Testament, and we tend to think, well, that's not necessary. No, it is necessary. It is necessary, and there is a reason for it, and it, it goes beyond who we are, and it transcends because we're talking about God of creation. We talked about this a couple weeks ago on a Sunday morning. Go listen to the sermons. It'll do you good. You are in a ritualistic religion. Mm-hmm. You are, now your relig- ritualistic, we're going to have too many R's here. Your ritualistic religion has relational aspects. You say that three times fast. Well, I dare you. I started hearing a more FUD there. Yeah, arr, arr. <laughs> I'm only in it for the sport. I don't eat the meat. <laughs> <laughs> Rabbit season, duck season. Anyway, why is that important? Because yes, you have a relationship with God through the work of Christ and the mediation of the Holy Spirit that is continuing on. But you do actually have a religion. Mm-hmm. There are, you ready for it, rites and rituals that must be religiously followed. You see what I did there? Get some more R's going for you. If you come up with any more R words, send them. <laughs> you too can Luis Wadwick. There's another Monty Python for you. That's um, Life of Brian. Oh, my. The guy who has to release the prisoner has a speech impediment. He can't say R's. <laughs> okay. So they keep messing with him. It's like, we would like you to release Roger. And they're like, I will Luis Wadja. And there is no Roger in prison. And he's like, Roderick, release Roderick. He's like, we shall Luis Wadwick. <laughs> And then when they finally find Wadwick. Yeah, when they finally ask for Brian, who actually is in prison, he's like, you're just messing with me at this point. We will not release Brian, because there was no Brian. And meanwhile, Brian's actually in prison. <laughs> that's the whole, that's the punchline at the end of the movie. Oh, my goodness. Again, why do I know these things? Mm-hmm. But I can't tell you where in Hebrews the verses are. Wrap your brain around that. So, no, they have been given specific things because God's worship is specific. Just as there is not, hang on, no, there are not multiple pathways to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no one comes into the Father but by me. Um, Acts 4, here's one I do know. Acts 4.12, where Peter talks about there is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. Right. That is being taught to you in the sacrificial system. You don't get to just sit there and go, well, you know, I'd like to uh, offer a rabbit for Passover. You don't get to offer a rabbit. Well, why not? What's wrong with rabbits? They're fuzzy and cute, and I can make shoes out of them when I'm done. Because God said offer a lamb. Yeah, but I got rabbits. I don't care. God said a lamb. We're teaching you that there is a specific way to go. Because what do the Proverbs tell you? 
This is chapter 14 and chapter 16. 14, 12, and 16, something else. Don't quote me on that. (laughs) There is a way which seems right to a man, and in the end, that way leads to death. Destruction, death, yeah. You are supposed to follow the narrow road laid out by God, not the broad road laid out by culture. Was that Matthew 7? There you go. Read the Sermon on the Matter. It'll do you good. All of these things are built upon the foundation of this law. This law is demonstrating a real and tangible pathway to God that is opened up by Christ. It is accessible only by Christ. Mm -hmm. And this thing that they're doing here is pointing to only Christ. It's important to recognize that we're talking here. There's one way, Mm -hmm. one mediator, one God. Uh, in the world that we have, we live in today, uh, they are really trying to blur the lines. They are trying to, they're trying to change the narrative of Scripture, and it's really important for us to focus. And when we look back on past scriptures from the Old Testament and what we're reading today, it's important to notice the the, the specificity of God when he's when he's teaching the yes. Levitical priests. This is how you will come before me. It's important because he is he never changes. He is not capricious. Now, why does this matter? Verse 2. Go back to Leviticus 10. Verse 2. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, if you rewind to what happened directly before this. So, what comes before chapter 10, children? Wait for it. Chapter 9. Right. Here's the end of chapter 9. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appealed to, appeared to all the people. Then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. See, that's a big deal. That's literally what happens. Now, in, in light of that, Nadab and Abihu were like, hey! Do it again. So they run in there and make a stupid offering, and the fire of the Lord comes out. Not to do their party tricks, not to bless them. Consumes them. Not to redeem them, but to judge them. This is your reminder, Christian. There are two, count them, two presences of God. So you have two presences of God. Revelation. You always know it's a good day. Look, we went from Leviticus to Revelation. That's a good day right there. I needed to get like a uh, like a Joel or a, something like that in there, and then we'd have been all set. Oh it's always a good day when you get like a, an obscure minor prophet that nobody reads. Like, all right, we're going to quote from Zephaniah because nobody does that. I always count it as a point of pride when I can do that. But anyway, Revelation chapter 20. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. It doesn't say amen, but I think it needs one, so I'm, I'm, I'm throwing it in there. Now, why do I read that verse? Because Satan is not in charge of hell. He's not. God that, is. That is important. People like to say, I'd rather rule in hell than serve in heaven or whatever it is that they yeah, that's say. That's not how this works. That's not that's how any of this not works. not how it all works. <laughs> no. They're so, not going so to be what, rulers. What you get is the beast, the false prophet, Satan, basically all the enemies of God are judged by God, and he judges them and basically preserves them in judgment in eternity. Isn't that nice? Turned into church later for Saturday night. Isn't that special? <laughs> 
now you have a mental, mental image of Dana Carvey in a, in a white do. wig, don't you? See, there you go. <sighs> I don't think I pull off the green church lady dress as well, and I'm not going to try, in oh case you were wondering. Thank you. <laughs> it was like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> now, what is this about? Well, the same presence. This is, again, the lesson. It is not Satan who rules. It is God who rules. Remember, Satan may be a roaring lion seeking to devour, but he's on a leash, and God holds the other end. Now, that's one presence of God. There may be another one, you may ask. Yes. Go to the next chapter, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, for there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. <clears throat> See, that's your good news. What separates the judgment presence of God from the blessing presence of God? Well, it's those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Mm -hmm. It is those who have had the right sacrifice for sin offered. That's why you see the judgment here. Nadab and Abihu, as priests, are supposed to be offering sacrifice for themselves and for the people. Yeah, first Do for themselves and then for the people. <laughs> and these kids... Nadab and Abednego, they were not righteous. To offer the wrong sacrifices to say, we can get to God a different way. We can get to God by the way that seems good to us. They were trying to manipulate. And not him. But they recognize, well, what they found out was that his presence was real and it was there. Well, and it's not just a lesson to them because it's a lesson to the people because if the people, because this is the lesson to Israel. Like, when you find a prophet, well, how do you know he's a real prophet or not? Well, does, did what he prophesy come true? Well, then yes. Okay. What did he ask you to do after that? Well, he said we should go worship Baal. False prophet. Stone him. See, it's not just whether or not he can predict the future. It's whether or not he's teaching you in accordance with the law of God, with what Moses has handed down from the, mountain, from the mouth of God. See, this is a lesson to the people. Nadab and Abihu went in. They were ordained, consecrated priests of Yahweh and went into the temple to offer, or to the tabernacle to offer sacrifice. But it's the wrong sacrifice. I don't care if they're consecrated, ordained priests of God. Mm -hmm. If they're going the wrong way, you don't follow them. And here's the example. Because if you follow them, the fire may not come down on you today, but the fire is coming down because you have attempted to approach God wrongly. What's the lesson? What does Jesus say? You'll, you'll come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we, didn't we cast out demons and didn't we prophesy and didn't we do great miracles in your name? And I will say to you what? Depart, Depart from, from me, me, you worker work. of iniquity. iniquity. You healed the sick, restored sight to the blind, cast out demons, and you're a worker of iniquity. Why? Because you did it the wrong way. Your ritual and religion matters to your relationship. Because as 2 John tells you, if you don't understand Jesus correctly, this is verses 7 through 11, if you don't understand Jesus correctly, you don't understand the Father. You do not have access to the Father because you've gone the wrong way. You need to be that couple in planes, trains, and automobiles yelling, you're going the wrong way. How do they know which way we're going? <laughs> yeah, right. <clears throat> the answer is because we know where God is. So let's continue this. Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron, therefore, kept silence. I love that. Moses is like, hey, you played a stupid game. They won a stupid prize. Why? Because truth is 
what truth is. We covered this earlier. Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, not someone, not most one, no one comes to the Father but through me. Go back to what God told Moses in Israel when he came down to the mountain in Exodus. Let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves or else the Lord will break out against them. In other words, check yourself before you wreck yourself. (laughs) That's theological, by the way. And likewise, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. These things matter because God matters, and we don't get to him another way. We get to him the way he has proclaimed to us. We celebrate him the way he has told us to celebrate him. To do anything less than that is to engage in and follow after the lesser thing. Woe be to us if we think we can successfully follow the lesser thing and get to where we are supposed to be going. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this is supposed to work. So you then may ask, well, why then does Aaron keep silent? And the answer is because what's he supposed to say to this? He's not supposed to say anything because at the end of the day, what's he supposed to care about more than anything else? God. Yes, Matthew chapter 10. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. See, we're not supposed to love our families more than God because you know what they're going to become? They're going to become an idol. And I don't find salvation. I don't find eternity by loving the temporal things. Right. Now, does that mean don't love your family? That's I didn't say exactly that. That's where I was going. I, got, it's I didn't say that. It's not what he's saying. Don't say that. Don't you put words in my mouth. Don't you right. do it. Don't you do it. I will turn into church lady and be that would be bad and don't do bad things. <laughs> Instead, what we're saying is you love your family rightly. You honor them. You serve them. You disciple them. You lead them as what? Not as ends unto themselves, but as offerings unto God. That's the difference. I find my eternity by finding my service to God, not by finding some other lesser thing. I find my eternity by rightly following and lightly pro- rightly proclaiming the truth that God has proclaimed, the truth that he has handed down. By rightly following, rightly proclaiming, I then rightly live, and therefore I am honoring the sacrifice and I am walking in the light as he is in the light. It's almost like that's a Bible verse somewhere. <clears throat> somewhere they wrote that down, right? I'm, I'm, sure I, I'm they pretty did. sure they did. So here's your punchline. First John 2. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. That was that whole lake thing where the fire and the demon and the devil and the serpent and the beast and the prophet and all that. The world is passing away and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. In other words, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. Why? Because he persevered. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him get astray. Because Christ sealed him. 
Christ redeemed him. Christ declared him good, and the Holy Spirit preserved that work and carried him to the day of completion. That's why. What was that walk like? It was faithful, tested, tried, and walked in a manner that honors God because of what God has called and commanded. Not because of his effort, but because of the mercy and grace of God. Not because it was always perfect, but because the Savior is always perfect. Understand that difference here. So, let's recap this, because this is going to matter for the thing I'm going to read you next, all right? Who determines worship? God. God does. Who determines how we worship? God does. God does. Who is our worship about? It's about God. Should be, right? Right. All right. You ready? <clears throat> oh, hang on. I have to agree to the cookie settings. No, I don't want to subscribe. <laughs> I know I won't be able to read the whole article, but it's not. I don't need the whole article. I just need this little part. Generations of children have belted out hymns during weekly assemblies at religious schools. I always love when they start these articles and, you know, like try to make you feel all warm and squishy inside. In a move that upset many traditionalists, the Church of England has suggested that schools avoid hymns with strongly confessional lyrics that may make pupils or teachers feel uncomfortable. (laughs) A new statement of entitlement and expectation for collective worship has been published to support church schools. It says that assembly should be inclusive, invitational, and inspiring, and is at pains to include those of different faiths and no faith at all. What could go wrong? A Christian denomination saying, you know, those great and wonderful songs of the ages, don't sing those. They're preachy and they're theologically robust. We don't want that sort of thing breaking out in our schools. That might make agnostic children feel uncomfortable. Oh, wow. That might make atheist children feel uncomfortable. That might make trans children feel uncomfortable. That might make Muslim children and Hindu children and Buddhist children feel uncomfortable. Why are they in a Church of England school? Like, seriously. Right. Seriously. Why? 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 I have questions. I'm made of questions here. They're trying to make everything seeker-sensitive is what... They aren't even really seeking anything. No! Those groups that you just mentioned. No! This is ridiculous. I mean, but that's that's literally the rundown here. It says that assembly should be inclusive, invitational, and inspiring, and is at pains to include those of different faiths and none. See, that they, they had me all the way up until ex- exclusive. No, they, they lost me. In, inclusive, because... Okay, what am I including not, you in? It's not inclusive. We, we are an but, exclusive but, religion. But, but see, here's my, here's my other point. If I'm not going to sing any hymns with robust theology or that might be a little on the strongly confessional side. I'm going to use their words, their terminology. So if I'm not using anything that is strongly confessional, what am I including you in? Pray tell. Sounds like a secular get-together. What am I inviting you to? Absolutely nothing, really. And what am I inspiring you towards? See, Christian, you know why... Okay, you're right. I'm going to noise this Isn't this analogous... To uh, salt losing its saltiness. You would think, or light under a bushel somewhere. It's almost like there's Bible verses about that. Read Matthew 5, it'll do you good. I'm going to annoy some people. You ready? Okay. This is why I get annoyed when all the country singers always have to do, like, their Christian album. Like, have you ever noticed that? Like, all the American country singers always... token Christian album? Yes, they always do. And you know what the first song is always, right? 
they always have to they have to do Amazing Grace and then like the little church in the Wildwood or something like that. It's okay. like it's like why? Why why you spent like the last twenty years singing about drinking beer and hitting on chicks and booty shorts. Now we're gonna now you're gonna be like, But I love me some Jesus. Amazing Grace. I should have been a country singer. How sweet the sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Now I pick on that because you have you have you ever noticed like they never drop what was that the the heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss song like they never sing that one they never sing that one mm-hmm. why not because it's not one of the good old songs now christian ask yourself this very 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 important question what makes the good old songs the good old songs their content see I'm picking on one because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm using my, my twanginess, but all right, you ready? We'll do it micro-machine style so we don't spend all of our time on this, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound to save direction like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found as blind, but now I see. That was, come on now. That was... <laughs> I'm, I'm clapping. <laughs> to his grace that taught my heart to fear, to his grace my fear is relieved, right? What are we singing about? We're singing not about me. We're singing about God and his amazing work. The reason this is a standard is because I'm recognizing that I was the problem. He was the solution. I'm singing about sola gratia of the Reformation. I'm singing about the great redeeming, plucking me out of sin and darkness and placing me into the kingdom of light and purity and goodness. Yeah. And John Newton got that because he was an awful human being. Yeah. He was an awful human being and recognized that God, when God saved him, he really did save an absolutely awful human being. It was amazing to him. Yeah. That God yes. could do that. Now, Think through some of your other good old-fashioned ones, right? Mm-hmm. On a hill, far away, stood an old rugged cross, an emblem of suffering and shame. What are we teaching about? We're teaching about, again, the redemptive work of Christ. How my righteousness is not mine, but it is a gift. It's imputed. It's yes. an alien righteousness. It is sent to me. My worship is is rightly then about God. So, um, okay, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. What's again being taught? That none of this goodness is mine, it's all his. What makes the good old songs the good old songs is that they orient your heart, mind, voice, and action towards God. That's what you're supposed to be inviting people to. That's what you're supposed to be inspiring people towards. That's what you're supposed to be trying to include them in. You're tr- supposed to be trying to drive them to the cross. I'm grabbing the him and him and Let's see if I can find something good. This is what Cameron's usually better at this than I am. Oh, I got to get out of the. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on my side. 
Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change his faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend. Through thorny ways lead to a joyful end. That's good stuff right there. Encouraging you to do what? Walk in his ways, regardless of what the world is doing to you, regardless of what they're taking from you. Ooh, here you go. This is one of my favorites. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. In other words, whether I lay down or whether I get up, what's the light of my life? It's Christ. Um, what was the, oh, the great, oh, um, abide with me, fast falls the even tide. What's the call there? Oh, Lord, with me, abide. It's a good funeral one. Because what is it saying? In its dying hour, what does he want? Well, I need the grace and the mercy of, of God. God. Here's yeah. one for you, church. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Yes. Yes. That's the stuff we want. That's the stuff we cling to. This is why I like Christmas songs. Mm. You know, th- this is why the um, first, first Christmas hymn my son learned. You know what it is? Uh, I don't. Good, because neither do I right now, because the name just went right out of my head. Okay. <laughs> it's Hark the Herald. Why was that the first Christmas hymn that my son learned? Was it from the... Uh... It's sung at the end of It's Christmas Time, Charlie Brown. Right, Charlie Brown Charles yeah. Schultz is a believer. Well, right. he was. He's dead now. That was his line in the sand. I think it was CBS Viacom. They wanted him to take that out of there. They did, and his line in the sand was, no, that song. Now, okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. Why did he fight so hard for that song to be included in that production? You ready? Let's hear it. I got to find my page. Hold on. Hold on, I got it. Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Now, if you think that was good, do what no church does at Christmas except ours. We do this. And sing the next verse. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Our God with us. See, if you can't be in a good mood after singing that song, check your heart. Check it. Check your heart. Now, what's the point of all of this? What, what makes those good old songs the good old songs is the fact that they point you to God. They're not about you. They're about the work that Christ has done that you are now participating in. In other words, they raise your mind and vision higher. They are rightly oriented because, again, who ordains worship? God. Alone. God. Therefore, our worship is about God. 
and God alone. So when we're singing about anything else, we're singing about, by definition, the lesser thing, the thing that should be put to the side, the thing that should be cast off. <clears throat> this is why I don't love a bunch of the modern worship music. Yeah, it lacks depth. Mm-hmm. You just put it that way. I didn't say all, mind you. Notice yeah. I didn't say all. I said most. Right. There's a couple really good modern songs. Really, really good. And I love them because they do the same thing. But this is what you should remember. If you're singing about you or you're singing about something and your only thought is I just want to get to the end of the song, stop it. Mm-hmm. If your songs are not driving you towards God, sing something that is. If your prayers are not driving you towards God, pray something that is. And here's where I'm really going to get you. If your sermons are not teaching you and growing you in the knowledge of God, find some that will. I was just going to say, I mean, singing is, is is a large part of what we call worship, but reading the scripture, studying the word of God, that should be our majority form of worship. That's what should give us our theological understanding of God. That's why the reformers, the first thing they did was they moved the altar out and they put the pulpit in. The highlight of the worship service of the Reformation was the pulpit. Go back, have some fun if you want to. Look, you take, don't take my word for it. Go back and read. I think CC, um, what is it? CCEL has this. Christian Classics, Classics, something library. Okay. CCL, CCEL, something like that. If you hunt for Christian classics, you'll find it. Um, Go read the rundown from Justin Martyr of early church services. And the majority of that service was the exposition by what what we translate as the president, the leader of the assembly, Mm -hmm. the elder, the pastor, Mm -hmm. the person who got up and would read from the scriptures and then expound on them. That goes back to the 140s, 150s A.D., Go back to the early church. When you see Paul gathering the saints together for quote-unquote church, what are they doing? Sing a hymn, take up an offering, and then watch everybody fall asleep while Paul talks for 12 hours. <clears throat> the highlight of that service was what? The exposition of the word by the apostle. Mm-hmm. What was it in the early church? The exposition of the word by the elder. Worship drives you to God. If your worship is not, if it's trying to be inclusive of other faiths, you do not have Christian worship. If it is trying to inspire you in a worldly manner, you do not have Christian worship. If it is trying to forsake theology, you do not have Christian worship. Typically, music will follow the theological level of the church. So if you have a church that isn't theologically robust in in word and prayer, you'll have music that isn't theologically robust. Sometimes you're stuck. Sometimes that's not the case, but but usually. So if you want to fix the music, fix the theology, which means fix your sermon, fix your Bible reading, fix your prayer time. Fix all of those things. Get them lined up, and you know what you're going to start having? You're going to start having more robust worship, more, more theologically sound and correct worship because you're going to be doing what? You're going to be focusing on God and not you, as I smack my microphone again. Sorry about that. Right. Well, I, I think when you la- when you fail to do that, we fail to uh, walk in the Great Commission that Christ gave us before he yes. died, and that is to disciple all nations. And, and, and when, you, when you remove 
the good news from the good news, there is no discipling of the nations with, with that kind of watered-down theology. Well, no, because again, what are we inspiring them to? There, there's nothing. What are we right. including them in? So the church is has uh, 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 thrown away the one thing that we are here for. Yeah. We're here as a witness to Christ and the gospel. Gospel proclamation, you ready for it, mm-hmm. is an act of... Worship, Amen. meaning it is not about you. It's not about the person you're talking to. It's about the right and proper faithful proclamation of God, his righteousness, his justice, and his great mercy upon sinners. That's what your evangelism is about. It's worship. Yes. This is why Paul can tell you to do all things as your act of worship, to do all things unto the glory of God, because what you're really doing is saying, I am now living out my worship. You don't do that by minimizing theology. You do that by maximizing theology in your life. When in doubt, learn and grow in wisdom and knowledge of God. It will, in fact, do you good. Do we leave anything out? I don't think so. All right. So what have we learned here today, children? God cares about worship. Worship is about God. Hmm. Novel enough. And our worship must be grounded and centered upon theology. Because theology teaches you God. about God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Amen and amen. Questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. We'll be glad to hear them. Glad to tell you how lovely you are and how wrong you are if you want to disagree with us. <laughs> I wonder if that's why we don't get as much feedback. <laughs> that's funny. Also, if you see something you think would be applicable to theology, send it to us. It makes my life easier to find when you send me a story so I don't have to hunt it down. In the meantime, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.